company policy. Hello. Hi. Hello and welcome to Extraordinary Brains. Why'd you say it like that? Because I'm an idiot. Oh, nice. Me too. <laughs> welcome. I'm Max <laughs> and I'm Tess. I'm no. <laughs> also Tess. I'm also Max and I'm also Tess. It's been a while, Tess. It's, it's been, been a while, while uh, since we put out uh, an episode because I've been poorly. That's true, actually. I've um, been not very well at all for about three weeks, really. I have not been poorly. I've been, been I've been lazy. You are very robust, though. Actually, I was poorly for a bit. You were very. I very, was really. You I was very really, poorly when it was rugby training. No, I time. was. No, I was really scared because I thought I had the same thing as you, and it was going to go on for a week. But it literally yeah. left the day after it started. Yeah, a week is a bit of an understatement. Anyway, it was horrible, but it's better now, ish. And we are back, and we have an episode with Cole. Ooh. I don't know that we can really introduce Cole. Such an interesting person, sort of farmer, performance artist. You're just going to have to wait and find out. Yeah, Ooh. I mean, just like no one else that we've spoken to, I yeah, think. Yeah, they were really good to, to say. Yeah, amazing. Um, and just the diversity of... When people talk about diversity, sometimes it's sort of like, oh, well, we need to have somebody from this group and somebody from this group. But mm. what was so striking about talking to Cole was not just her diversity of background, because she's got a very interesting background, very different to other people we've spoken to, but the diversity of outlook. Mm. And that's actually what's important, I think, is diverse. I think is as important, maybe more important is diversity of outlook and the other things become important because they lead to a diversity of outlook that's um, smart but sounds that, very wise i'm very wise <laughs> and actually listening back to the episode we do we do quite a lot of talking between ourselves and trying to be wise um she was very good about just letting us talk <laughs> oh that one thing just to say um there is quite a lot of popping noise in the uh, yes do you remember she had like one of those oh. <laughs> you know what are they called the kind pop of it. pop they it po- thing they had a pop it. yeah which was a, a very valid thing to do for kind of keeping calm and being able to be in the zone but it did cause a few audio difficulties so yeah I, so i mean it's, it's, got probably, it's not going to affect the, the quality of the actual yeah, of the actual but if you are thinking, but, you if know. you are thinking that there's something wrong with our microphone or indeed Cole's microphone, it's not that. She was just popping, 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 popping. Anyway, enjoy the episode. I hope you do, and we'll see you at the other end. We'll see you at the outro. Bye-bye. Outro. Bye. Right. Right. Hello. Welcome. Hello. We, we welcome uh, Cole. We're just going to call you Cole, and you can explain. Uh, anything you like. Uh, you wrote me an email a while ago, Cole, so, uh, a little bit about me. Queer, black, artist, naturalised Afro-Caribbean immigrant and survivor slash healer. I think that's a really good in- introduction. You do lots of other stuff. Um, but I want you to talk about that. I want you to, to tell us about what you do and um, and where you come from and, and, and your story. That's what we're here for. So welcome. Welcome, welcome. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, both you and Tess, for having me on the Extraordinary Brains podcast. That's right. That's what we are. It's lovely to have you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I know we do have a friend in common, Emma. Emma Cromwell. Yeah, Emma Whitaker. Well, uh, Tess doesn't know her, but I do. I don't know her. Maybe I do. Now I'm I'm scared. Am I missing someone? No. Emma is Emma is uh, the link how we got connected. So uh, Emma's an old schoolmate of mine, just a dear chum, dear 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 dear, dear chum. chum. And I'm 
so supportive of, of her journey as well. Yeah, um, yeah, has, um, has, she's had quite the journey, definitely. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> shall we go on to our first question and talk about Ab- you? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, thinking about when you were growing up, um, when did you become aware of being different and how did that feel? You know, it's so interesting to try and articulate that. Um, mm. You know, I... I would say I knew something was, I'm not going to say wrong, but something was, um, let's call it present. present. Mm. <laughs> I went to Sunday school and I remember, so, you know, it was up the street. I lived in Brixton at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, the first thing is I remember sitting on this little chair and I literally could not keep still. I was mm. just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you, oh, you know, like, oh, like I just was like, <laughs> you know, I just, there were Bibles around and hymnals around and I was just like, oh my goodness. So then um, I think it was that same day, um, the, the, the Sunday school teacher was discussing Adam and Eve. And Tess, this is a, you, you were not even born during, you were like a vague twinkle in the universe. Of, <laughs> you were part of the plan, Tess. But you no, were part no, of the planet. No, you were no in the that. galaxy somewhere. You hadn't made your way back here. Um, there was a rock, rock um, singer, um, Adam Ant. Oh, yeah. And everybody was just dressing like him. I mean, he was awesome. And so they're discussing Adam and Eve. And I'm just like, who are these people? And out (laughs) of my mouth pops out. I said, I put my hand up. I said, "I, I don't know this Adam and Eve that you're speaking about. The only Adam that I know is Adam Ant. And... He was I don't remember was what happened, but I just remember it got like really quiet and then somebody started giggling. And then that evening I got a phone call home. I, I got a phone call from Sunday school. No one, no one gets a Sunday school, a phone call from Sunday school. No, no. I got no, a phone no, call no. from Sunday school because I, I had said, you know, just blurted out. Well, I don't know Adam and Eve. The only Adam I know is Adam Ant. And that was about, six or seven and it's just kind of <laughs> gone from there yeah so yeah. presumably it wasn't you who took the call yourself maybe a parent would have been sort of involved in, in... i doubt they would call the the person who did the thing <laughs> well you wouldn't have had mobile phones at that thing. point you, you know would have been one landline for the for the household presumably mm. definitely one at, at that time yes so how did that feel like once you realized I suppose you know in the moment I I didn't really care I was just like you know um I I that moment I don't remember feeling ashamed I I just Mm. remember being like had a mat I I do remember my mom like, I don't think she made me feel bad either, but I remember she was, she was 
in stitches she was. <laughs> <laughs> so it probably wasn't very very long. Well, but around that sort of time, I also growing up in North London was dressing up as Adamant with my brother and entering the um, uh, fun, local fancy dress cut. Co- competition and coming now, second and now no one knows no no one no one knows <laughs> who Adam Ante. see he was massive i tell you anyway so so you were growing up in brixton so but you're now in the u.s so what's the what's the story there and how did that all sort of pan out for you oh absolutely um i think my mom uh wanted a bit more Opportunity, and and, and I, it's not to say that you know England doesn't have a lot of opportunity, but I had, you know, my my parents had divorced at that time as well. All right. Um, and I and my grandmother was in the United States, mm. and I always wonder intuitively if you know that I was also a huge classical pianist. Um, just training and taking my exams and training right. and increasing. Uh, I was just very creative. Um, I I do wonder if my mom wanted to move because there was a bit more opportunity. And I wasn't the best tester. I had, oh, man. I was always in tutoring. My math scores were terrible. Um, and yet you were brilliant at the piano. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because you have to add. You have to compute rhythm um and mm. i did have trouble in music theory as well um mm. I, music mm. theory and math i was always aside all well, music theory is a nightmare it, <laughs> it really is if you don't have the correct tutor then you mm. know you you can be convinced to yourself that you're not good but it's just how it's how it's instructed to you so i i i do think my mom came you know, she also had my younger brother as well. I think mm. she just, you know, my grandmother, you know, I think she just wanted more opportunity in some ways. Mm. Um, we left April 1st, 1987. So mm-hmm. I always joke, you know, we came here as mm. April Fools. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a fool. I think that, that's a point at which there probably was much more opportunity in the States than, than Britain. I mean, the Florida Wells, the States is bigger. It's bigger, True. so by definition, there's probably going to be more stuff. Anyway, how did it go? We're, we're pontificating, but you—it's actually your story. Sorry, Karen. No, it's and that's fine because I'm chuckling. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm also in. Um, a f- I'm learning about farming from a social justice lens, and oh, okay. a lot of us um, in our cohort have, you know, immigrants, first generation immigrants, and we're like, what is this American dream that we're so that we've been sold on? So much mm. that, you know, our, our families are sacrificing themselves, are um, you know, working overtime too much. So we're we're kind of pulling apart the American dream. Um, but in that sense, there's also have I, I do have a lot of opportunities I've taken advantage of um, being here um, that I, I probably may not have been offered. Um, back in the UK, just because of my testing, how I test, I test terribly. Mm. Um, so we got here in 1987, and it's been a journey. It's been, you know, I lots of crevices, lots of highs, lots of lows. Um, there's a perseverance, a resilience. Um, 
that I've, you know, myself and my family have overcome being Afro-Caribbean black mm. um, along the, the gender sexuality spectrum. Mm. Um, you know, I, um, I, I finished my degrees as an adult learner. I okay. was able to show up to a off-Broadway audition, get cast and travel for five years. Um, I, my goodness, I've worked in every sector to support myself as an artist um, and, and with that comes a lot of struggle, a lot, a lot of trauma. Um, and I do think the way I process things, you know, it, it took me longer because I don't fit hmm. in the, yeah. the mold. Yeah. I, I wonder if we could talk about what, what your art, how your art has evolved and how it's difficult, isn't it? Cause I don't want to get ahead of myself, but what sort of art, what, how would you see yourself as an artist? What kind of an artist are you? Cause people will be wondering that. Oh, of course. Um, so I am a performance artist um, or, you know, conceptual, I'm a conceptual artist and I focus in um, performance, performance mm -hmm. art. And to articulate that, I, um, I started out in the performing arts, you know, classically trained theater, community theater, right. choral music, um, music theory, you know, your crotchets and quavers and semi-demi. Yeah, um, all of that To eighth notes, 16th notes, 32nd yeah, notes yeah, yeah. here. Mm. Joy. Um, so I was always doing other people's um, or being part of other people's projects or works. or right. um, And over time that, and with art school training, which was a journey in itself, I have taken out I've gone from the performing arts to performance which is more conceptual mm. think uh, Linda Mary Montano Marina Abramovic um, and I personally uh, focus on, on the history the historical intersection of pirates and slaves oh okay and and how that relates to me as immigrant queer um, female really presenting, newer uh, diverse, okay. working in those intersections, uh, colluding, collaborating, cooperating, um, navigating. So that's where everything is now. Um, I am a time traveling pirate in that sense. I make time traveling. Tools. Well, obviously, aren't we all? I mean, yeah, fine. Yeah, I mean, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's I, I hope I, I, I'm trying to be concise and clear and not wing out, but that that's how that evolved. Okay. I mean, uh, people, I, I think a lot of people get, find it hard to get their head around what performance art is. And so just on a sort of basic level, how does it work? How does, how does the craft work? How do you, how do you perform? Oh, and where do you perform and how often do you perform? Well, I, I always proffer and offer that performance art is anything. You know, mm. you could be even, um, this is, you know, along the art life continuum of performance art, right? right. Even Tess just standing there, just kind of doing this little gesture. Tess yeah. Thompson, Tess Thompson, <laughs> I was doing this art. and then I I realized I was doing the exact same gesture and pose as you. And I was like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Exactly, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you're becoming more and more like me. 
No. We could study. We could do, just do like this strange study on gesture and whatever, right? Like that could be performance art. Then there's right. performance art that addresses um, issues in society, poverty, racism, classism, femicide. Um, you'll see performance artists doing street performance. You know, yes. right. yeah. really um, jarring, beautiful performances and statistics. Um, that unfortunately reflect what's, you know, the isms that are happening. Mm. Yeah. Um, then you can also have these performances that are just, you know, they're usually inside in like a performance space site. Um, your curator will bring together different artists and mm. um, they'll do different things based on what's going on personally, politically. Um, but I, I am of the ilk that uh, performance art can be anything. And, and for me, performance art helps me process all of these things. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I an immigrant, you know, quite. so I, I kind of build this character persona of Pirate Jenny, the time traveling pirate, to go towards, you know, joyful futures, having dealt with, um, as Shola, as Cole, Ulu Shola Andrea Cole, these experiences navigating the United States yeah yeah so i i suppose that performance art is just a genre of art it's a medium it's a way that you can put those ideas into life rather than just on paper which is when people think art they just think pencil paper but oh, they it's completely. it's a really really broad thing absolutely i mean tess you can even you can even say um you know and and when i had first started coming into it you know, I didn't have the traditional um, art school background. I didn't know painting. Yeah. I didn't know sculpture. But um, I had started saying that I am an interdisciplinary performance artist because I bring aspects of drawing. I bring aspects of um, theater. I bring aspects of, um, you know, video. Um, hmm. So... Performance art really is this wonderful way to not just like physically do something, um, mm. but all you could bring, you could do anything. I mean, even now with the pandemic, you know, you've got virtual performance art, you've got virtual theater, you've got so many things that bridge and, and meet at performance art. Shall we go to thank you? That's really that's that, that does make a lot of sense and that's really interesting. Um, should we go to a second question? That's a good idea. Um, so what was your process towards understanding your difference? So I've moved, I know we've moved on pretty abruptly, but I think oh, no, 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 that's good. Um, whew. you know, it's so funny that brings up just so much grief and mourning in some ways mm. because it's like, had I understood. Or had I, had I been in a supportive environment um, to understand why certain things weren't sticking and clicking, mm. um, so many things would be different. But um, I had had increasing trouble um, in high school, I'd, I'd say shortly after sophomore year. Um, I don't, which I don't remember that? what the yeah. equivalent <laughs> Sorry. Is. I always forget which one. Sorry, can you say I that know. in British? <laughs> I know. <laughs> what, what, let's see, I was 16. What, what yeah. is okay. that okay. in? Sixth form. Which makes yeah. no more sense than sophomore. Which is as year a... 11 or sixth form. Yeah. So, okay. 
You're all right. I know. I, I couldn't <laughs> make the bridge. Um, yeah, sorry. Carry on. No, no, no. Uh, so I'd say around 16, I just, you know, things weren't absorbing correctly. Mm. Right. Um, and I also do tribute that to, contribute that to the fact that uh, very inflamed home uh, environment, um, toxic, um, mm-hmm. partially, I think, just a single parent struggling out of resiliency, uh, one preteen, another teenager, frustration, anger. Um, mm. But I, I do remember around 16 or 17, um, like just not feeling like I couldn't absorb Mm. And still kind of trying to go along with things and still trying to get the homework done. Um, and this was throughout high school, you know. Uh, I I had to fight to get into these um, higher level classes because I was kind of bored, but I wanted a challenge. But I, I, I couldn't, um, I just didn't have the framework. Um, yeah. I, again, I had more tutors, more math tutors. I would learn it, I would understand it, but just for the class. And it it, it didn't stick with me once it was finished. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until um, I got to college, or uni, as they say, um, and I, I just, so many things about identity, um, and also just working in a larger framework of school, and adjusting to environment, um, yeah, I didn't have an easy time. It wasn't until I got really depressed, coming out um, as queer, mm. a lesbian, that everything just started to crash and burn. Mm. And I actually went to the mental health clinic on my campus at that time. Right. Um, and they had started the process of um, medication and also analyzing. They were like, it's very likely you've been dealing with depression and anxiety and especially uh, attention deficit disorder. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so that, honestly, that was like my early 20s. Um, and they did the, they gave me the traditional run of uh, medication, um, which for me, honestly, I stuck with that for maybe not even a year. And then mm-hmm. I did the flush flush. Flush flush. Flush flush meaning like you just take, you know, like I, you know, whatever medication they've given you and I just flush them down the toilet test. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, this is not it. Can I pry and ask if is that was that medication for anxiety, depression, and ADHD, or was the whole? Because yes. yes. my understanding of the American system is that basically, if if you can give a medication, you do. Oh, um, yes. Most people who come from that system, I, I end up stopping all but one, at least, or, or, or possibly sometimes yes. all. Or imagine that they probably clash. Oh, uh, yeah, they can do. It's true. Good point. They can, and also part of the um, the. I don't know if it's a common trifecta over the pond, but here it's attention to, uh, you get anxiety, depression, bipolar, um, and ADHD. That's a huge trifecta. Right. Um, so 
I, I was exhibiting things, all of those things, but what was happening is that people around me who knew I was taking medication actually were like, you've become boring. So I was like, mm. flush, flush. <laughs> I feel I, like, yeah, I feel like dealing with the, because like when you stop medication, the change can be quite hard to deal with, but dealing with the change and the side effects of three medications or three different things at once it's a lot. Just all of that change and all those side effects. And you're just, I can't imagine it going very smoothly or being very enjoyable. Tess, I, I want to thank you for your insight on that. Um, yes. And it was spicy and dicey for a while. Mm. And I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, you know, I was in my, you know, early 20s and you know, I was still reeling from a toxic home life and I, you know, right. and, and, and I do want to um, bring into the equation, you know, PTSD, complex PTSD, which is just PTSD sustained over a long time. Yeah. Um, right. That was starting to, you know, finally catch up to me. So, yes, the what happened after the flush flush um, was not easy. Um. But I, I did have a crew around me and I, I did have um, expressive means. I was in an acapella group. I was in a rock group. Um, mm-hmm. I still hadn't finished my, I still hadn't finished uni, but I was, you know, I had my first girlfriend. I was in a rock group. I was in acapella. Like I had outlets to kind of smooth that out. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the reasons that's so important. So I, I judge, I don't judge anybody who is like, you know what, something's wrong with this medication of flesh, flesh. I do say, mm. make sure you have nets. And yes, coming suddenly off medication, particularly multiple yes, medications. You know, correct diet. Um, I mean, the whole process is a little bit of a nightmare mm-hmm. quite often, but it's just ensuring that you have like a... A backup. If it all goes to shit, if you've got a creative and an emotional outlet, yes, then you've got something to hang on to. It. Oh, oh, spot on. I mean, and I, I think sometimes that's why it's not encouraged is because those, those community centered ways of um, monitoring um, don't make anybody any money. So <laughs> it's a really great point. They don't make any, any anyone any money. It's really interesting that you've mentioned this, because, but it's not. It, it, probably in the states, that's quite quite an important consideration. But even in the UK, when when our health service, which I think is wonderful, is not necessarily financially based, that kind of community support for people with neurodevelopmental conditions or mental health conditions is still not well developed because it's hard to track. And it's hard to audit and it's hard to demonstrate impact because ev- because by definition, people are being supported in their communities. So everyone's journey is going to be a bit different. So you're not, it's so much harder to track. So I'm a big advocate of it for ADHD. And we've tried really hard in, in Lambeth and our mutual friend Emma has been involved in that sort of thing. But it's really hard to, ju- I mean, everyone's been lovely about it, but it's quite hard to get hard data on this works. I mean, I think I'm absolutely convinced it does, but it's very hard to to to, to actually prove it to funders. Anyway, I, bit of an aside. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm like like I'm just it's I I know um, 
increasingly, especially in farming, uh, farming communities, black and brown um, and queer farming communities in the United States, um, and especially herbalism and plant-based healer communities, there's more of that communication um, or uh, communication around building community around mental health and mental yeah. awareness and trauma. Are you in a farming community? So I don't even know where you live. So where, <laughs> where are you and, and, and what's your involvement with farming? Because that's another aspect that is fascinating. Oh, absolutely. So I am in the New York metro um, region of the United States, what they call the East Coast, or some right. Californians in the West Coast call us the least coast. But oh. it's... <laughs> well, I know. It's... I mean, I... I... Yeah, they can't have been up all night. I mean, that's pretty 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 childish. Like, first the worst, second second the best, best. (laughs) least the least. Yes, the best. It's funny, though. It's Um, funny, but I have been to California and the way their infrastructure in the sun. So I can see why some Californians are like, we're the best coast. Yeah. So, so we, we, Tess and I are both in the middle of the. Spider-Man game on PS4. So we, we're aware of the New York, the geography of New York. Oh, not really. <laughs> where, whereabouts in New York are you? So I'm in the metro region. I'm in a, I'm a Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, so just outside, um, 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. Um, and I, it's so convenient. Um, I'm always in mm. New York City. I'm always... Um, bustling around or I was um but there's many many um farming communities urban farming communities especially black brown and allied um who literally using you know plants and herbs and tinctures and healing to address this uh deficit in the mental health mainstream mental health resources and Mm. really pull on community um as a way to create a space for healing and dialogue and especially for those who want to bridge into um natural medicine means off outside of um your typical um approach it's so fascinating because it's very like the british system of allotments but you're very rare if you're own an allotment in britain and you're less than 60 um, <laughs> you owned one when you I were 30-something. That's true. Don't judge but me. I was not able to maintain it, and I gave it back to no. the pensioners. It's just okay. its interesting, because actually there's nothing inherently kind of old person about urban farming, but 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 that's how it's become in the UK, and it's interesting that it's its a different kind of... It sounds like it's a different sort of thing in, in Newark. It, it is, and I, and I think, you know, we're seeing this rise happen um and i think it just also mirrors you know land will always speak land will always be a mirror and i i just think even across economic lines and levels people are are going back to the land or going back to the dirt anywhere you know they're trying to grow anything anywhere um because you know the you know, I just think the sensory, the sensory bomb of the dirt and also of community. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's just spiked up. 
you know, garden centers here have just reported so many percentage increases in dirt selling just earth sod not only not only is there the sensory thing like with the texture of the dirt but there's the plants are beautiful plant it's just objective plants are beautiful but also having the control and the responsibility of growing and nurturing something yourself and seeing seeing the results of it really really close to getting tests to commit to doing some more gardening this year hey hang on i have have my houseplants i have asked you for new pots for my house no outside gardening tests outside outside in the soil gardening but i fine (laughs) yeah but you know i'll tell you if you if you can research the um i think it's the rusk center at nyu okay we can look at that the rusk let's see if i can i don't know if i I'm going to try not to multitask, but the Rust <laughs> Center, I'm like, don't do it. Um, NYU, I believe they have a whole um, mental health rehabilitation recovery um, centered around um, plants and gardening and, and just yeah, like... But there's some, some, yeah. some, some stuff that's happened in the UK as well. There are studies of, um, particularly for men... Um, kind of getting outside doing gardening and doing that sort of shed I mean it's, it's an outlet that's not seen as feminine so if someone struggles with femininity it's a but good it's, one but it's also a collective outlet yeah um as uh, you, you mentioned collectivity you know collect, joining a community of some kind yeah, um, yeah. physical exercise outdoorness and um physical and exercise community. without injury or pressure yeah exactly so there is, um, I I don't know what it's like on YouTube uh, across the pond, but YouTube here is just saturated with men who started gardening and farming. I think it's more easy to do with farming. It's more acceptable with, you know, men and farming, but like met dudes with like house, you know, house plants, like, Yes. Surrounding. Just... YouTube is generally saturated with dudes who want to tell you the thing that they've just taken up. Generally speaking, whatever that thing is. You do well, realize that YouTube is tailored to the things that you yeah, enjoy. I understand that, but I just generally <laughs> yes. speaking, men like to go on YouTube and explain the thing that they're enthusiastic about, as if it's. Well, maybe people like to see that. Right, fine. I'm just. I don't know. I'm that's, old. Why, that's how it gets out. Just like old that. and jaded. It gets out there. What's wrong with Gardener's hey, World? There is nothing wrong with Gardener's World. <laughs> <laughs> BBC thing, on the radio. Not even any pictures. Um, <laughs> that's that's this question time. Um, right, should we go on to question three? Because we've that's got good, distracted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, this happens. This, you've seen, this keeps happening. It does keep happening. <laughs> so how do you feel about your difference now? Mm. I really embrace it. I think... I think one thing I've learned is that it's so simple, but I am me. And for so long, especially in the lens of economic survival and mental survival and just navigating, um, I've had to really um, step back and be like, you know what? I, I can't do this. I really kind of level out my what my emotional and mental resources um, right i i have also been dealing with um uh severe burnout 
um, which is very typical in neurodiversity people because you yeah, just have to work so much, hard right. and keep yeah. up with so much and everything. Um, and I was actually hospitalized for uh, uh, incident. Um, yeah, vasovagal syncope. I in about twenty minutes. Um, this was right before COVID hit, and right after I got laid off, I I fainted three times. That's um, mm. never happened to me before. And they couldn't find anything wrong. When I got out, um, all of my nurse friends, my mental health friends were like, are you burnt out? I'm like, what is burnout? I don't mm. burn out. Um, so in that capacity, when I say I am me, um, I mean like the full thing. Like I love how my brain makes strange connections, but interesting connections that, um, you know, make people think. Mm. I like being able to use my conceptual mind to really kind of design map what I really need, but it, it took decades and decades. Um, and it's, it seems impossible that you could do what you do without the mind that you have. I mean, by definition. That's, you need that. You need that kind of creativity. That's why you're the extraordinary brains podcast. Exactly. Because yeah. Definitely an extraordinary brain. It, I'm, I'm yeah. really interested, and because you've mentioned, of course, your your other sort of identities as as black and queer, and any other ones that you have. How do you think they intersect with your neurodiversity identity? Do, do, how do they, how do having, accepting and coming to terms with all of these different identities, how does it compare and how does it kind of, how does it interact? That's not um, too general a question. Well, I think, you know, even just the idea of being queer, being lesbian um, is a step in itself. Just, just being like, I, I don't do normal. I don't do the archetype, yeah. right? Mm. Um, and so many queers um, often find that in identifying themselves, even along the allied spectrum, you know, just taking the time to be like, this paradigm doesn't work. In doing the work um, of identity, you're also thinking about, wow, how do I really process? How yeah, do I process? Really this point. process thing is not working for me out there. Um, so you'll also see um, a lot of queer neurodivergent communities um, or Facebook mm. groups or Instagram groups. Um, it, and and I also would say with the immigrant piece, um, I think even just learning a new social language uh, being immersed in a new culture, um, having to adjust, you know, feeling like I have to assimilate, um, you know, again, that's more of the, the deep dive, the process thing, like, why is something not working? You may mm. not know it at the time, um, because you're, one is just, I feel one is just in hamster mode trying to survive or learn <laughs> as an right. immigrant. Um, but Again, if you're doing th that deep work, you know, as queer, as brown, as immigrant, as neurodiverse, you know, something is 
is not. Something doesn't click with the mainstream, you know, with the with the larger um, acceptable picture, and you know, I I I think if you do the work, you'll find where those neurodivergent trails kind of bridge into all of those um, identities, so to speak, which is all of me. I am yeah. me. Mm. So it's an integrated process of integration in a way. And I really like your point about the fact, yeah, that you have to introspect about yourself and therefore you discover things about yourself um, through all of these processes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It... And it's better late than never. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that you are, you and Tess, um, clearly different generations, but. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, I wish I had something like this uh, to help me process. You know, better late than never. Mm. But, yeah. You know, because I do think the survival, the immigrant, the, you know, my mom had also immigrated to the, the UK when she was very young to study nursing. Yeah. But, um, you know, Cause, she didn't cause... have that time. She, she didn't have that. You know, she was yeah. going through her divorce. We, she didn't have that kind of platform. You know, work, 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 work. Yeah. You I feel know, like so. a lot of the generational stuff is also that understanding of neurodiversity and understanding of troubles that people have who aren't white, no matter, like, where on that, you end up, like, all of these different struggles, people are becoming way more aware of them now. Yeah. And struggles of being in the LGBTQ plus community, mm. all this stuff. The fact that people are becoming more aware of it is not only meaning the more people are realizing that they are in those communities when we're talking neurodiverse or uh, queer communities, but people are just, as I said, becoming more aware. And it's it's just been really good. It's an unequivocally <laughs> good thing, I think. I don't know. I'm struggling to put it into words, but it's just the awareness, like I said, and the... I think acceptance is going up. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope acceptance is going up. I think that there are bumps in the road. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, politically as well. But uh, but the, the, the trend over the years is, is positive. Oh, um, absolutely. I, hope I, so, anyway. I mean, I would even say, um, you know, I'm currently in counselling now and, you know, I'm way into my late 20s just so to speak and <laughs> yeah i was in my 30s for quite a while <laughs> yes you know oh it's just so i i mean that that's all to say um i i'm finally going in for evaluation you know finally and which is really rare i i know that black queer um, femme presenting women um, in that spectrum, or just women in general, let alone women of color, um, have to fight harder to get diagnosed because we're always adjusting, masking, so presenting. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Masking, whatever, uh, and, and coping, passing for, for normal. When you say evaluation, what do you mean? Because you, they, they felt that you had ADD in your early 20s, and now you're in your extended 20s, which is a nice I, I got the diagnosis, but here's the thing. in you know, Here in the States, you've got um, 
they call um, HIPAA records or medical records. Mm-hmm. Um, those get expunged every so often. Really? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. So I did get yeah. a initial diagnosis in undergrad. Mm. But it's been several decades. And, you know, those files get erased. Those things get removed. So okay. now that I'm in a space to actually reflect and be like, I need assistance. I need resources. This is what I need. Now I'm able to take those steps to get get a diagnosis. So it really almost re-diagnosed with some kind of ADHD or, or related um, condition. You know. Did you say um, ADHD or ADD? Um, ADHD. Well, you said ADD, didn't you? Um, I at first it was ADD. Um, right. And then when I, I was explained to me, that's usually a diagnosis given to younger, um, oh, sorry, ADD, ADHD um, is usually given to the younger, ADD, yes. Um, and I, you know, and, and I still, cause I research it more. Um, hmm. Also remembering some of those diagnoses also come from people who have sustained complex trauma. Um, Trauma and ADHD or trauma and ADD is very, very common. So a lot of the work is also making sure you know how to research and you know what's good and and taking that time because, you know, with all my identities, especially being queer, brown, um, immigrant, I may get bypassed. I may get ignored. So I, I have to do that extra labor, that extra work. But but it's informative for me. As but well. just just to be clear, just for the sort of partly for the benefit of listeners as well. So ADD, where you don't have hyperactivity and impulsivity, it's a bit complicated. But essentially, it's quite an old diagnosis, and strictly speaking, isn't in the diagnostic classifications anymore. But it's still quite useful as a as a shorthand for that subset of people with ADHD who don't have prominent hyperactive and impulsive um, symptoms. And it's it's interesting, people said that ADHD is a young person's thing. They may have said that a few years ago, but I think now it's fair to say, it's now acknowledged that anyone at any age, so I got diagnosed with ADHD, uh, gosh, how old was I? 45, yeah. Mm-hmm. In my very late 30s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Extended. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so so I think under, the, understand, the understanding has moved on. Um, in a positive way. You got so. it when you were 45 and I got it when I was 14.5. 14.5. Yeah, that's quite good. I'm a genius. Hey, <laughs> well, congr- congratulations. It, it... I mean, yeah. <laughs> <Mazel> tov. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we're, well, we're not very long between our diagnoses, was it, Tess? Yeah. It... <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm supposed to say something here. No, well, I, I found I, I I had it in mind, and then you started sort of having some difficulties, and so and then you it. were like, "Hang on, hang, hang on. on, this is a genetic <laughs> condition." Yeah, I think I think probably my brothers have it as well, but they're having they're having less issues, so it's not an emergency. Not an emergency. I don't know. They don't Still. also listen. To, they also don't listen. To they the also podcast. don't listen to the podcast. So. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Oh, oh, you can say what you like about them. Screw you guys. <laughs> oh wow, that was strong. Um, <laughs> no, wait, shall, hang on. <laughs> shall we get back on track with our fourth question, which we almost had a really good segue into, but then we got distracted. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Right. 
So looking back, is there anything you wish had been different? I I think you said something um, for the second question to do with that, but um, I wish society would would be more um, accessible, uh, um, especially to communities of resilience or communities of color, especially. Um, I think we as a society don't always um, support families of color who are dealing with neurodivergent family members. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, especially if you're economically challenged yeah. and you are trying to just put food on the table. Um, and you're just trying to get this little one off to school and, and, you know, there's really no, um, consistent plan to, to, um, cultivate compassion. I, I, I personally wish I had more of that, um, mm. growing up. Um, and I, I wish society would really be gentle yeah, especially with their expectations. It, it's I personally think I performed at a high level at expense to my mental health um, because I just think society um, creates these unrealistic expectations that we as the neurodiverse just rise up to because of our bright, brilliant minds. <laughs> um, but we're not thinking holistically about the fallout from that. We don't set up families to have more compassion around neurodiversity at all. And I, I say that, especially, you know, um, working with, having worked with poor, poor white, um, you know, diverse culture of families who are adjusting to the United States. Um, yeah. We, we have to do better as a society with that compassion. Yeah, that's a really lovely point. So what are, do you want to do the, the final question? Oh, okay. Yes. I mean, that is normally my job. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's been, like, <laughs> so, been a long um, day. What are your hopes for the future? Oh, that's so big. Um, mm. My hope personally is to continue what I'm doing now, which is kind of scaling back, seeing where I, I fit in with, I, I love to learn. Um, you know, I'm learning about the trades. I'm learning about farming. I'm, you know, obviously art learning, uh, I art life learning, excuse me. Um, and for me, I know scaling back and seeing where those things were mesh um, has been great with less labor. Mm. Um, I think I would like to continue building resources um, around farming and learning and sustainability and also around new diversity. Yeah. Um, and that can just look like living simply, consuming less, journaling more, Mm. Um, you know, 
connecting with those kind of who are also on the severe burnout. But, um, but honestly, I, I think the idea that less is more mm. and working and, and navigating in a way that creates less um, stress You know, and also a lot of dirt and land. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I'm thinking. Um, is is how I I'd, I'd like to move forward. Yeah, and do you have any hopes for sort of neurodivergent communities or neurodivergent people more generally? Hmm. My, my hope is that you know the compassion that I want. Um, actually goes into mainstream um, working spaces. You know, when somebody's going to a medical appointment or even a job interview or something, that um, the front person um, has more compassion or awareness about that. Um, Just because, you know, I've trained myself to look at you in the eye when I'm giving an interview um, which is exhausting. Um, yeah. You know, what can an HR person do? What can an administration person do when they're interviewing somebody who has skills clearly for the job, but may not socially or neurally um, be able to do that? You know, can society create awareness around that? Can society train cashiers? to recognize somebody who is giving you the money, may not process how they're counting it back, but doesn't want to say anything if they think they've been shortchanged. Can a cashier engage in a way where they count the money back? That's such a great point. That's such a great thought mm. and such so, a practical one as well. Yes, yes. So I, my hope is that there's more... Um, not daily compassion, but sociocultural mm. um, ways to create awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I know having done customer service and being neurodiverse, I know I engage with the customers the way that I would want to in counting back their change, in greeting them, in letting them know what their options are, and not overwhelming them with options. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have to turn it over. Like, yeah. And it doesn't have to be a specific neurodiversity. You just know that the the experience of being different gives you tends to give you empathy for other people who are different in all the different ways that they can be different. If that makes sense, mm. Mm. That's, that's a really why, good point. Yeah, it's, it's pretty common for like for people who aren't like quote unquote different to not be as like aware. Yeah. And, but a part of the process that's going on is an awareness process. It just, again, in the same way that we don't want to overwhelm people who are neurodiverse and trying to go to a bank, we don't want to necessarily... I think there's a, there can be a process where neurotypical people just get overwhelmed by how much there is to take in um, about all of these different diagnoses and all of these different things. And I, I I'm not it's... saying we need to sort of roll back, but we need to be empathic about the fact that there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot, there's a lot to learn. Um, I think... It's very important that we teach about different neurodiversities in schools. Not like, maybe not in primary schools, but you could just, in primary schools, you could just, which is like a 
the what's it called? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. it's like the grade school. <laughs> yeah, elementary school. Elementary school. Yeah. That's the yeah. one. Um, so not like having a full discussion with a bunch of elementary school kids about neurodiversity, but just saying some people might seem to be different. They're well, not. They're just, the class, they're just other people. This, but there's, yeah, there probably, there probably is, is. But that's the thing. Um, and then when you get to secondary school, you get to high school, you go into a more deep discussion. Obviously, you're not going to have a day where you go through a slideshow and you go, this is this neurodiversity, this is what it is. Mm. But just well, letting them is... know that they need to be more aware and more empathetic. Mental health is now part of the curriculum, the national curriculum in the UK. Mm-hmm. I don't think neurodiversity is. And I think, obviously, when you're trying to get into the mental health conversation mm-hmm. nationally, you're always competing against anxiety and depression, which is the big thing you know anxiety and depression in neurotypical adolescence is over and above so far above everything else yeah in terms of public perception of mental health even though it's not actually the most common presentation of mental i think health a lot of people think that there. feeling anxious means you have anxiety and feeling depressed means you have depression oh very much so and they also think that mental health is the same as anxiety and that's depression. the thing people forget that feeling depressed and feeling anxious is a normal part of life. Ah, yes. Like, if it happens all the time, look into it. Sure, sure. And if it happens for no reason, look into it. But if you're feeling depressed because, you know, something bad's happened, that's just, I don't know, it just happens. And I think, talk to someone about it. Yes, it doesn't mean you I really don't want to seem, I I really don't want to seem like I'm being like, oh, you're not actually depressed, you're just sad. Like... No, well... But, okay, I've complicated things. But about sometimes, it. sometimes that, sometimes that is what it is. Yeah, no, it is, and we need to support people through their feelings if they need. Yeah, obviously, if they need obviously, help. if you're feeling depressed, it still sucks. But, but that's that's not the point. Yeah, but but there, yes, we. we I suppose what I'm saying is, you, we mustn't ignore all the other aspects of mental health, which yeah. are really important, uh, which aren't just your straightforward anxiety and depression. So bipolar, you've mentioned neurodiversity, behavioural difficulties. I think something there needs to be a lot um, more education on is dissociative identity disorder. Ooh. No one knows what that is. Well, they will soon when Moon, when Moon Knight comes out. on. Hopefully they do proper <laughs> representation because there was that one movie about that person with dissociative identity disorder. I haven't watched it, but I think one of their alters was a murderer. And I was like, that's not. Uh, well, we'll that's see. That's not. And a that's lot of being Hollywooded. People, yeah, a lot of people who have dissociative identity disorder have been very, Did. have been very, like, yeah, <laughs> have been very vocal about the fact that that is also not only very damaging, but just not how it works. Yeah. Well, okay, so the the the, the portrayal of mental health and neurodiversity in the media is oh. work in progress. Yeah, it's that's that's a hope <laughs> that's a hope for the future that that just gets better. And that's, you do you get a hope for the future then, Tess? I do get a hope for the oh, future. Oh, okay. Fine. Am I not allowed a hope for the future? No, of very... course you are. You're allowed a hope for the future because you're 15. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm no longer allowed hopes for the future. Yeah, your hopes and dreams um, stop being lion tatters. When you when you turn 30, you stop having hopes and dreams. Oh, Sorry, true. guys. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you start having children. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. <laughs> Uh, all right. Okay. I think we've Sorry, basically we've, been num- we've uh, basically got to the point of rambling on. Um, no. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you it's so much fun. for just you know this is actually the first time I've been able to discuss this. You know, wow, it's been 
it's been at least 15 years. Like this is the oh, first wow. time, you know, I feel wonderful enough to um, just be able to speak to those things and, mm. um, you know. Fabulous. Well, that's amazing. Thank you. Well, I'm really uh, it's happy a privilege. for you for that. That's so nice. It is a privilege. <laughs> but this doing this podcast is a privilege because this isn't. This does happen. People do mm. have conversations with us for I some almost, reason. I almost had to miss this because I just got back from my rugby game and I had loads of homework. I'm You're really glad I did. Glad it. you did. Really lovely yeah. to speak to you. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and if if any of you need any more talk time or and it's just so nice to speak with people back across the pond and 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 just i'm gonna i'm gonna give emma like a <laughs> big you know shout out um i don't know i think like i i just it's, it's you know there are no words oh and i just mm. took a screenshot because i'm gonna send that picture to you of all um is there's you, just you, no my words, dad like you know. leaned into the camera me nothing <laughs> It's a good, it's a good show. Laughing. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you. And okay. if if I can do anything yeah. or, you know, let people know about this podcast that you're looking for. Well, exactly. If, obviously, everyone, you know, you need to tell everyone about your podcast. I mean, everyone someone, is listening. If someone who's listening to the podcast probably knows about the podcast. No, but the people who are listening to the podcast need to tell everyone <laughs> okay, else they know who right, don't know about okay, the podcast yeah, about yeah, the podcast. Because yeah. it, be, it should be universally listened to tell by everyone. Well, <laughs> it should be now. number one in the charts, not number 46 in Singapore under hey, mental health. that is a brilliant number. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Uh, it I, don't, is. We don't, I don't even look at the charts. Um, Damn, thank you very much. Where humble. can people get... If people... Well, yes. Uh, um, <laughs> Very humble. Um, where where can people get in touch with you if they've been kind of stimulated? Uh, they should have been uh, by what you've been talking about. You have various social media presences, don't you? I have. They've been um, again part of the burnout. I've been not. I've well, it's been not part of living that. simply, isn't it? Social media is not a simple way of living. I was no, telling George right before we started. He's my but little brother. I was telling him. I to do stop. have a website. I'm going to put, it's piratehaterjenny.com. Hold on. Yeah, I've got it. Don't worry, I've looked at it. Don't worry. Oh, okay, good. So that's how. <laughs> I'm a regular yeah. at piratehaterjenny.com. Yes, hey. Always hanging out there. Um, so people, people can um, reach out to me there. I, I am going to start energizing my handles again. I feel a little bit more, um, I feel a little bit less overwhelmed with social media. Okay. Probably in the spring. But people are more than willing to reach out to me um, via my website. Um, there's a contact form. Yeah, and you've got all your t your handles on the website. I remember thinking, I do. remember noticing. So that's fine. Awesome. Fab. Great. Well, wonderful to speak to you. And uh, yes, speak to you soon. And goodbye. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you so much. Cheers. Okay, so that was Cole. That was Cole. You're so right. And it's half term, so you must be. Well, you're sort of happy, but also lazy and sleepy. I'm, I'm in that position where I'm like lying in bed, really comfortable on my phone. <laughs> Are you saying to me? Talk no, I'm listen, not you in have bed. to. You have to. I, I, I wasn't in bed. In bed, I wasn't sleeping. How do you discern being no, because lying I, in your bed <laughs> under your covers? You have I'm to not let in me bed. Finish. You have to let me finish. <laughs> what I'm saying is that I'm, I'm like lying on my bed, all comfortable, and I'm texting my friends and I'm watching videos. 
And then I just kind of have this kind of subconscious like feeling of doom because I know I have my GCSEs coming up and I should be revising. Yeah. But I've just got that like in the moment. I'm like, wow, I'm so happy. You're going to lose everything. Like, no, that's basically <laughs> adult life. Yeah. <laughs> it's more I'm, or less it now. You know, I'm adjusting. I'm adjusting. <laughs> anyway, um, we hope you enjoyed our chat with Cole. We're By the way, to... I was not in bed. I was simply in on bed. my bed under the covers because it was cold. In bed. That is Fine. in bed. <laughs> but I wasn't in bed in bed. I wasn't sleeping. You were wearing clothes. I was I fully dressed. You yes, okay. you were wearing clothes. I, I was not there for the intents and purposes of sleep. <sighs> okay, fine. Um... Please do um, tell people about the episode. Not necessarily about this bit when we argue about the definition Honestly, of being it's in the bed. Oh right, fine. Um, um, but please do tell people about uh, the podcast. Uh, Extra Brains Pod is all of the social medias, isn't it, Tess? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Extraordinary Brains Pod at gmail.com is the email if you want to. Um, get in touch as I said at the beginning um, diversity of outlook diversity of story is what we're about want to hear where you come from what your experiences where do you have been. Go? <laughs> where, where do you come from Cotton particularly if your name is Cotton Eye Joe that would actually we're be keen awesome to speak to you you know what? hit me up if your name is Cotton Eye Joe <laughs> alright we're going to stop that there Aww. thank you very much okay say bye tune in Tess, next time to see if we've snagged Cotton Eye Joe <laughs> for an interview. Bye. Bye. <laughs>